0: This podcast is an unedited excerpt from an MCLE program presented at MCLE's Conference Center in Boston, Massachusetts. Get 24-7 instant access to over 350 employment and labor law e-lectures and more with a subscription to the MCLE Online Pass. Learn more at www.mcle.org online pass. Please note that MCLE's products, services, and communications are offered solely as an aid to developing and maintaining professional competence. The statements in this recording may not apply to your circumstances and no
1: legal, tax, accounting, or other professional advice is being rendered by MCLE or its speakers. For full terms and conditions, please see the MCLE website.
2: right, so now we're we're in a world where... um, employers are at least um, phasing into, um, if they haven't already, uh, reopening um, and are struggling with the issues of how to contend with um, the the medical emergency and the implications um, for their co-workers and, and their employees. Um, so... There are a couple of things, uh, you know, regimes that sort of govern these, these issues as we're talking about them. One, and we've all, we've mentioned them all today. Um, one is the, you know, Massachusetts Privacy Act. What's a reasonable uh, invasion of privacy versus an unreasonable invasion of privacy? Um, another is, are the disability laws and, and whether you can require medical exams and under what circumstances. So um, I think what we were Hello? You can't hear me yet? No, we can.
0: Okay, cool. Okay. Uh,
2: Alright, good, you're back. Yay. Um. So should we continue with this or do you want to go back to you? Why don't no, you why don't you just sum up and then and we'll get back into my opening? So I,
0: I think you're summing it up is, is go down, figure out what's the nexus to your business interests, and do what
1: you any of Mike, Mike, we can't hear you. Hear you. Try taking the phone off of, try talking into it, not on the speakerphone. Like, really hold it up. Yes, yeah, they can't see you anyway, so hold it up. We're, you're live here. Oh, hold on. How's that? Uh, there you That's
2: go. Better. No, no. Why can't oh, I
0: hear? hear you? Oh, here, oh, here we go. go. Is there an yeah. echo there? Yes. Yeah. How about now? Good. Nothing? Good, but not, right, okay. it's
1: we not very you. loud. Hold it
0: up. All right. All right. How's that? Good. Good. Okay. okay. All right. So on the on the la- the other segment, figure out what if any nexus between the conduct in and, and the employer interest. Review any applicable law, policies, collective bargaining agreements, contracts. Think about Do you really want to uniformly enforce this policy decision? Would you be able to take the same action against a different segment of the workforce down the road? So think long and hard about the policy you're trying to set here before you act on it. And I think that's it. I mean, just be disciplined and thoughtful and mindful of what you're doing and go from there. There are going to be difficult issues, and we shouldn't shy away from the fact that they are going to be difficult issues. And that is all I was going to say. Am I still sharing? No. No, right? Okay. All right. So we can do COVID, right? Yeah. All right. All right. So we have,
2: Mike, do you want to take over uh, leading this part of the discussion? Because it was mostly your uh, list of topics that you wanted to, that you would flag
0: sure I can do that
2: okay yeah maybe we could go through them and you can give you the employer perspective then Jill or I can give the employee perspective
0: okay did you guys cover any when I was out Nope. okay all right so we don't have any powerpoint for this you're just going to watch us have a discussion I didn't mean to cover the camera, though. So temperature checks. This is something that's become very common among many employers. Here's the general employer view on it. Uh, the EEOC is saying for now it's permiss- permissible to do temperature checks for employees, and they're saying that because uh, we've got a pandemic on our hands. So even though even though temperature checks are a medical exam within the meaning of the ADA, the EEOC takes the position it's okay for employers to do the temperature checks, and they're really making a direct threat analysis there. Any thoughts?
2: So just by way of of background under the ADA, and and essentially 151B on medical exams, when if you're doing medical exams, they have to be job-related and consistent with the business necessity. Um, and if you're going to administer them to specific individuals, you have to show that there's a direct threat um, posed by the individual to themselves or others. So, um, I mean, I I agree with you in the EEOC that, you know, someone who is carrying the COVID-19 virus um, is a direct threat and, and it's perfectly consistent with business necessity to require um, medical tests to see if you have it or temperature
0: checks, rather. Okay. Okay. Medical questionnaires. So, this goes sort of hand-in-hand with temperature checks. They're sometimes combined with temperature checks. Sometimes they're done as an alternative to temperature checks. Generally speaking, the EEOC is okay with this, too, with some caveats. If your medical questionnaire is tied to CDC symptoms and risk factors, so the CDC is. Changed its list of symptoms at least three or four times. Uh, it's a longer list now than it was before. The risk factors, though, are you know, generally: have you been exposed to someone who either is uh, symptomatic or has been tested as having COVID-19? Uh, you know, the view of the employer community, consistent with the EEOC, is that we're going to we're going to engage in those questionnaires. The with a balance here is is you only ask about symptoms in exposures. You don't go for a full medical history. And it should just be, check the box. If if you were experiencing fever, go home. It's not, well, gee, why are you experiencing fever? What other medical conditions might you have? That's not what we're talking about here. Check the box. If you check yes, you're not coming to work that day.
2: And why is Mike correct about that under the ADA and 151B, Jill?
1: Medical uh, Employer necessity. I'm, yeah, I don't think anybody's going to have a problem with that.
2: Well, and also you can't ask questions that are likely to lead to um, the disclosure of whether somebody has a disability or not. Um, right. Inquiries, but it has to be narrowly tailored.
0: Okay. COVID-19 tests and antibody tests. So the EEOC has said an employer may require an employee to be tested for COVID-19 before coming to work. They have not specifically addressed antibody testing. Now, antibody testing shows you may have immunity to the disease. It doesn't say one way or the other if you have it today. The rationale the EESC uses for allowing the test is that with community spread or widespread right now, Uh, an employee who has COVID-19 poses a direct threat both to him or herself and others. Uh, Not clear to me that you you could apply that analysis to the antibody test. I I sort of think you couldn't, Uh, in which case I think you'd have to argue somehow or other that the antibody test was job-related and consistent with business necessity, and I'm struggling to see how you'd make that argument.
1: Well, I could see in the future potentially you know, healthcare workers, for example, you, particularly if they do more scientific research and figure out that antibodies actually do make you immune, that you would actually yep. want to put front line people people only with antibodies and you to test it for that for that reason.
0: Good point.
1: Yeah,
2: I don't I don't think it really impedes on anything any other interest. Certainly, it's not going to show that you have some genetic, you know, disability or something like that. So, I don't see any reason not to be able to do it.
1: It would also depend on what you're doing with the information. If you said, oh, everybody Mm -hmm. with antibodies is fired, then that may be a problem. because That's certainly not a medical necessity. In fact, it may be helpful to have them. Okay.
0: Okay. Uh, Number four. I'm curious to see where you guys come out on this. Employer mandating quarantining when they learn of off-duty conduct inconsistent with the emergency orders. So I went to a big party that that had more people than allowed. I, I, I'm of the view, I think, that an employer may do this so long as they've done some proper due diligence and can establish that the conduct actually occurred.
2: I think the employer can do it as well provided that it is uh, evenly applied, I mean consistently applied um, to everyone and it's not certain kinds of of gatherings um, mm-hmm. versus others. But that does sort of beg the question about what if it is you know, uh, you're the the gathering that you've participated in is um, a reopen demonstration or a Black Lives Matter demonstration. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think I think that's that's a tough question. I think you know you have to apply it even-handedly. Um, I think there's an issue, there's a possible issue of illegal retaliation if you are demonstrating against discrimination in the workplace. Mm -hmm. Although that doesn't seem to be the gist of what's happening these days, but I don't know. That's my very tentative thought on it.
1: As a practical sense, I would say that it may if an employee is told to you know take two weeks, fourteen days of their own leave time or unpaid leave versus they actually did have the ability to work from home, but it's not allowed maybe um, you know, less problematic,
2: yeah, and and all right, all we're talking is quarantine. we're just saying basically you're going on a period of leave. Or remote working, it's not an adverse employment
0: action. It's one thing if you unless you can't, well, unless you, you can't you work, you work from home Right, right, right. Um, okay. Employer record retention with respect to the results of the screening, whether that be temperature and/or medical questionnaires, uh, I can tell you that. What we've been saying, uh, Jackson Lewis, is treated consistent with medical records under the ADA, keep them separate from the personnel files in a secure location.
2: Uh,
0: I've been advising, you know, the record retention under the ADA is a year. I I think an employer right now ought to be keeping them for three years because they're going to be relevant if they get hit with a tort claim based on somebody getting sick.
2: I agree. Yeah, I think uh, if you provide providing to the requirements of the
0: ADA. You're fine. Um, six was what do you think about employer restrictions on off-duty travel? So I, I've had this question. I had it come up from a friend, so I don't have to give any advice on it. Uh, but her employer was saying they're not going to allow allow them to travel out of state, uh, and she wanted to go see her parents. Um, I think it. Raises some very interesting questions. Um, I, I think you've got to look at a balancing test here, uh, and I, if I was going to take that step, which feels to me rather intrusive, um, I would. I'd really want to be able to tie it back to the CDC and, and the various state travel restrictions, and even then, I'm not sure, you know, how that analysis comes out if challenged. Hmm.
2: Well, far be it for me to to. Um, <laughs> I I actually I I think you know that it's as again as long as it's employed consistently. There's no legal reason why, as far as I can tell, why an employer couldn't say that. You know, an employer is saying, "Look, I want." My employees to be safe. Um, I want us to, you know, observe the social distancing, and you know, this is what we want you to do. I don't know, I, you know. And
1: for me, I've actually had this come up one place, and I it's, this is not a lawyer answer, but it just does not pass the smell test to me. There's something just immediately seems wrong. And it's the kind of thing I would do a lot of research to make sure I could find something to pin it on because it doesn't seem right. It's different than, you know, requesting that people consider it, just the absolute Mm -hmm. ban. You know, you can't go to New York to see your parents. Uh, Yeah. Give me a law that's breaking. I don't know. But there's, there's something wrong with that.
0: I'll tell you how it usually arises when we get the question. It it usually arises because the person who traveled, co-workers, are very uncomfortable standing on a line next to that person. Uh, And I think for for that reason, it's easier for us to address without a policy. So the person traveled somewhere, that was a hot spot, people are uncomfortable. It's easier I think to say go home than it is to say we're gonna bar travel. Um, most of my clients have not done that.
2: Yeah, I would say, you know, if you're we prefer that you don't. If you do, we're gonna to have to ask you to quarantine for 14 days.
0: That's the advice I'm gonna start giving, Jim. That's good. but no, I'm sorry. Strike that. <laughs> You <laughs> <laughs> right, also so. really
1: need to be up on what the hotspots were because that changes constantly. Right. And right. um you know, at one point New York City seemed like a real hotspot, not now. So what you know, what would it what would it be? Just any place that sounds foreign and far away or some place that sounds urban may be a problem.
2: Right. Well that's where you have to try to avoid being subjective about it. <clears throat> And I'd be concerned about that. I'd, I'd want to have objective indicia because the more subjective you are, the more likely that bias is going to creep into whatever rule it is that you're enforcing.
1: Well, stretch it further and say, say international. I'd say there's a ban of going to Brazil. I mean, you know, all of us would think that would be a good idea not to go to Brazil right now. But then you are, or you have a national origin problem that you're therefore people extended period of time, who've got family in Brazil, can't go visit while other places there are more family in the U.S. or first world countries. It's not a problem. It, it could, I mean, I could imagine a little bit of stickiness there.
0: Yeah, I can too, but it's interesting. I, I hadn't thought of that. Before it became widespread in the U.S., there was a list and it was a list that grew. Um, I think there were initially like six countries, and it was China and South Korea and some others. Then it was much of Europe. Then it was all of Europe, plus the U.K. and Ireland. I never quite understood why they broke them out, but they did. Uh, and now it's everywhere. But the, you know, the national origin claim I, I, is something I hadn't really thought through, and, and but mainly because we could point to the CDC travel advisories saying, don't go there. Um, and I think... Most employers were happy to follow that and, and risk the discrimination claim. Um, right. seven, we have seven, we are seven. Employers asking employees if they or a household member have COVID-19. Um, so can you, in addition to asking do you have any symptoms, do you live with anyone who has any symptoms? Uh, my view is you can, and at least on March 27th in a webinar, the EEOC thought so too. Again, a direct threat analysis. What they did take uh, issue with, though, was they said, ask if you've been exposed to anyone, as opposed to does someone in your family have, and they were pointing to Gina, the Genetic Information Non-Discrimination Act. Hmm.
2: Hmm. I wouldn't have thought of that, but I, you know, I, unsurprisingly, I agree with the EEOC.
1: And I would say not family, but household is a little bit more yeah. apropos. I mean, you know, family could be not living, you know, he went around. But doesn't seem to be a problem. I mean, part of it may be, what are you going to do with the information? Oh, you know, you, you get sent home because even though, you know, I don't know.
2: I think, you know, to avoid setting a, a line that really doesn't have any Rational relationship, you know, to the infer what you're trying to um, avoid. You should say, Have you been exposed to anyone who has COVID-19? And you can ask when and for how long were you exposed. But you know what, or whatever is factors are relevant to determine whether this person, whether this employee, is a threat to the to the workplace because it's not really relevant whether it's a family member or somebody that you golf with. You know, that you were exposed to somebody for a long enough period of time to present a threat of infection.
0: Okay. All right. Number eight, employer treatment of employees who have conditions the CDC has identified as putting them at high risk of severe illness for COVID-19. Now, there's two general categories there. Uh, One is those three sort of any kind of chronic illness, um being older, which depending on what you look at is either sixty or sixty five, most commonly sixty five I think, um, or having some sort of immunocompromised situation. Here's uh the EEOC maybe a month ago or so now um added to its to its FAQs on this. And they're saying you cannot exclude those people solely because they have a condition putting them at high risk, unless you can show direct threat. Then they go on and on and on about how hard it is to establish direct threat. Um, what's key to, to the whole analysis there is you've got to do an individualized assessment with regard to each of those employees. Just having the the, the, symptom, the condition is not enough. In that webinar back in March, they also addressed the 65 or older and said, absolutely not. You cannot tell someone that they can't come to work because they're 65 and older. You've got an ADA problem. There's no direct threat or undue hardship prong in the ADA. Um, So that's. We're getting a lot of these sort of paternalistic questions from employers, oh, but they're going to get sick, can't I tell them to stay home? Uh, The EEOC suggests no, unless you can do that individualized assessment and say that that particular person really is at high risk.
2: But it's not the high risk that presents a, well, I guess it presents a threat to themselves. Right. Okay, never mind. Right. yeah and you also want to make sure that they don't suffer an adverse employment um action because they had to stay home for example right. yeah I'm not sure where I'm going with that
1: <laughs> I'm always here's like kind of the flip side or maybe a piece of that Jim is I'm always a uh, in favor of, hey, you want to send people home with free extra vacation time, go, go for it. You're not going to have anybody <laughs> sue you about it. You want to send people home and to use up their last three sick days that they were saving and go with unpaid leave, that's a whole different thing.
2: Right. Yeah, that's what it, where I was going. It's like penalizing people, causing people to suffer a harm, an additional harm, because they're in a vulnerable category. Right. Like, okay. Over the age
0: of forty, or because they have asthma or whatever, they have a yep. Right, and, so that, and that's where that, the EEOC is coming
2: from. What's that?
0: That's where the EEOC is coming from as well. That, that while you may have good intentions, you're you're causing people to suffer harm, and, and there may be no reason for it other than they happen to have a condition, uh, but they may be healthy enough that they're okay, or they're willing to assume that risk. Um, two more number nine. What can employers tell employees when a coworker gets sick with covid nineteen? I guess I'll tell you, and then you can agree or not so the the guidance is pretty uniform on this. You can tell you can tell the coworkers you may have been exposed to someone who had covid nineteen. You cannot tell them who the employee is. Uh, it's okay if you can reverse engineer, you know, if you're in a three-person office and one person's out of work and you're told you may have been exposed. The EEOC doesn't care about that. They do care quite strongly that you don't say who it is. What I what may get a little more interesting, we've got some calls about, uh, you know, sort of early on in the process, employers were reporting illnesses to the local Board of Health. and that sort of went away. Under the reopening orders in Massachusetts, if someone gets sick at work, the employer is required to call um, the local board of health. I presume the local board of health is going to want the name of the person because the whole idea is contact tracing. I think that's okay. Uh, It's a public health authority acting under the auspices of public health statutes. I, I think it's okay for the employer to disclose to the local board of health, but not further than that.
2: I agree. Jill? Uh,
1: I, well, I have a personal views on, on this that uh, go against the law, which is that people have the right to know who they might have been exposed to. I'm not terribly a fan of medical privacy anyway. So, but that's not a legal opinion.
0: Yeah, and we've got a lot of that, and it's a, it's a hard thing for the employer for the management people on the front line. You can understand why people are angry about it, but but CDC says the same thing, by the way. Um, Not sure why, Uh, but that's what the guidance says. Um, Last one before we do our um, key takeaways employer restrictions of off-duty conduct that goes against social distancing guidelines um, i can tell you we're getting a lot of these calls and these also are usually um, brought to the employer's attention by co-workers who are not comfortable working with the person who wasn't socially distanced um i i think i would analyze it similar to the travel question I'd do the balancing test and, and i think if i could You know, if someone brought in a social media post that showed them, you know, lined up, delied up to the bar in the Ozarks, I'd probably say the employee's got to go self-quarantine.
1: What about a blanket policies? You know, no going to the oz, No going to bars. No, uh, you know, no going to protest marches. No going, or maybe generic, no going anywhere that's against CDC guidelines or doing anything.
0: I think that's okay. And if you do it, you know, neutrally the way you just did, no no going against the social guidelines, social distancing guidelines of the executive orders, I think you're okay unless and until someone makes a disparate impact claim.
2: I think I'd be more comfortable if we just said adopt their policy that if you do this, you're going to have to self quarantine for, for two weeks. Yeah. That way, you don't have to pick and choose which is the okay violation of social distancing and which is not.
0: hmm No shortage of issues um, in the privacy realm associated with COVID-19 and um, our return to work. That takes us a couple minutes late to the key takeaways, but uh, still before five o'clock. So, how do we? How do you guys want to handle key takeaways?
2: Somebody take it away. Sorry I had to say
0: that. I, you know what? That's, I'll, I'll do it, Jim, because that way I can put the phone down. My hand's getting tired.
2: Okay. Um,
0: all right. So these, these are my my key takeaways. Uh, be coordinated in your approach to things. You, you could see that there was a lack of coordination in the Babudo case. You saw much better coordination in Foamsby. Uh, You know, they really had their arms around what the problem was and what was the justification for their testing. Uh, Second, I'd say be intentional. Think about um, the focus on the – think about the court's focus in the drug testing cases on the elements of the testing procedure. If you're going to go down the path where you're going to be infringing on on an employee's privacy interest, think long and hard about what's the least – The least amount of infringement you can put out there to achieve your goal. Uh, Be disciplined. Don't jump to conclusions. Investigate the same as you would any other case. And by all means, always, always, always engage in the interactive process if we're talking about some kind of drug testing or or, or really anything else, uh, but drug testing in particular. And then finally, finally, do the balancing test and think about how a third party is likely to view where you struck that balance. Uh, are they likely to think that you were objective about it, that you did your due diligence and are they going to balance it the same way? Or are they going to think you had sort of a knee jerk reaction and there's no way they come out the same way in the balancing test. Um, you know, and key to that analysis is what's the nexus between the conduct and your workplace interests. So those are my key takeaways.
2: Bill, you
1: want to go next? Uh, sure. Um, so uh, one of them, kind of overlapping what Mike just said, is for employers or advising employers, you know, don't don't infringe on the privacy of your workers unless it's absolutely necessary. I mean, even if the law allows you to go up to a certain line, why do it if you don't need to? Uh, the other is the, the traps for discrimination, the fall into discriminatory acts, you know, because of bias, uh, conscious, unconscious, uh, acknowledged, unacknowledged, are super easy to do. And so stay away as much as possible. For example, we were just talking about prohibitions on off-duty kind of non-COVID approved conduct. And I could see a lot of employers coming up with things saying, you know, you're not allowed to go to rallies. Or protest marches and and thinking, oh, well, that's kind of facially neutral because it could be either way and, and it seems dangerous, but it would be ripe with the fact, particularly since, you know, 99% of them are kind of one, uh, may have this definite aspects on anything from age to race to political views. And the other is kind of general, one of my general takeaways, particularly talking to a management side employer um, and management side attorneys is, tell your clients not to piss off their employees and to be nicer. Uh, We would be suing you a lot less if they didn't do that. Most people who come to me would not be suing it, not be interested, no matter what the legal contact was. If it wasn't that last minute, stick the knife in and treat people badly. Um, It really does make a difference.
2: What Jill said. Um, Also, (laughs) I would say, um, you know, we're, we're past the time where um, it, to question whether implicit bias exists, um, whether we hold it, or whether it infects the employment decisions that we make. I think all we can do is be aware of it and be conscious of it and try to, you know, when we're doing hiring decisions, background investigations, data mining, or whatever, have that understanding clear in your head that what criteria are we using? How objective are they? Are? are they? How much are they a function of stereotypical thinking or, or pre-existing biases um, that are just reinforcing existing and historical inequalities? Um, be very careful about that. Make sure that what you're looking at is actually tied to the, the skills, qualifications, um, and abilities required by the job um, rather than things that, that you think might be, um, because we are, um, you know, we're, we're clearly facing um, a society where we have not eliminated um, systemic biases, and the last thing we need is to be reinforcing them through the types of hiring procedures and background investigations um, that I've been talking about.